Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Observations. Observations with Rob Liefeld is where we take a walk down comic books, animation, uh, movies, streaming television, television, pop culture, all the ways everything connects. It all started with me and comic books and now comic books are everywhere and we chat up all of it every time. Comic books, comic book artists. Uh, look, comic books are all about visuals. Uh, without the pictures, we're, we're, we're talking about books at the bookstore, novels. That doesn't mean there's not great comic book writers. Uh, done some great stuff. I love artists. It's what gets my extra gear in shift. Um, and once upon a time, I uh, started a studio of my own, which eventually got to 65 on site uh, artists making comic books uh, at one at one time. This was a studio called Extreme Studios. I uh, opened it after uh, shortly after I launched X-Force with Marvel in 1991. And uh, today we're going to walk through a couple of those names that went on, ironically, some of these guys who I gave their very first shot in comic books would go on to entertain my family, my kids, because comic books were not big enough to hold their talents. And they went on to give you... Uh, uh, the the Batman cartoons. They gave you Ben 10 cartoons. They storyboarded movies. They directed Hot Wheels and um, all sorts of different entertainment up until uh, one of the, 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 the most amazing uh, young talents at Extreme became a guy who has become the chief uh, head of art direction, art department, visual arts. I'll get the actual credits to get it right or later in this podcast of all the Marvel films that you love. We are going to discuss so many of the great talents because I always say we, we, we here at Rob Observations, we talk about how uh, the past affects the future, how what happened in these past comics affects the future. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now. So we are, uh, uh, we are at a function, my wife and I, uh, outdoor function. It's a pandemic, right? Everyone's social distancing. It's kind of a intimate little affair at a friend's house for a birthday. And uh, one of the guys who uh, I know very well and, and does a lot of voiceover work in, in the entertainment industry, y you'll hear his voice on numerous uh, uh, campaigns, trailers, He's the new big trailer guy and has been for the last decade. Uh, he does a ton of the Marvel stuff. He did all of Endgame, all of Infinity Wars. He was Marvel's go-to voice guy. He's got that brilliant uh, voice that, that that does all that brilliant voiceover work that on the you know on the commercials and says coming Friday, um, you know in a theater near you. St that stuff that I'm not capable of even pulling off on my best day. Walks up to me and he goes, Hey, what's up with this new? Marvel film. What's up with this this martial arts movie? And I know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about Shang Chi, Master of Kung Fu. Let's do it. Let's talk. He goes, uh, "What's up with that? What's that about?" Yeah, I, I heard about that. And and so you know, for the next 15, 20 minutes, I got to completely you know assail him with my love of all things Master of Kung Fu and Shang Chi and how it was birthed in my youth and 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 uh, ran you know hundreds of issues. And became a giant property now for Marvel along the Kevin Feige 
um, childhood tour because again, I think Kevin and I are the same age. So he's taking all the stuff that he loved when I was a kid and putting it on screen, whether it's Eternals or Shang-Chi or Black Widow. Um, this is all stuff that is like, it rages 1970s. It is a hundred percent my childhood. And the funny thing is some of these guys, so many of these amazing talents that came through my studio that I gave their first break to, that I was so proud to give their first break to. So many of these guys have gone on to be the guys behind uh, the creative teams working hand-in-hand with the directors, whether it's the Russos, whether it's the Scott, Scott Derrickson, um, you know, whoever, it, 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 James Gunn, bringing these characters to life or they're bringing your animated favorites to life. There was a time, as you know, uh, some of you that Ben 10 ruled television, especially kids television, uh, just lived on Cartoon Network and blew us away routinely. It, it, it feels like there was 20 episodes, I mean, 20 seasons of episodes, 20 seasons or more, or 10 or 12, whatever. And Ben 10 toys were everywhere and Ben 10 was giant. And uh, obviously we all know that Batman is a giant, giant uh, cultural uh, stone that everybody breaks themselves against. And uh, and then to, to know that some of your favorite movies, whether they're cult movies or big blockbusters or your television shows, have been storyboarded by some of the same guys who you bought their comics from. And again, I am so proud to know these guys, to call them friends, uh, to be able to say I gave them their first break. If you have listened, if you've listened to Rob Observations, you have heard me uh, speak so kindly and 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 literally. I mean, it's 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 so uh, genuine, and it always will be. The guys that give you the crucial breaks, um, Mark Grunewald, uh, you know, who has who uh, passed away, you know, two decades ago. Uh, reached across the table, welcomed me to Marvel Comics, gave me my first gig, hired me, sent me the Zodiac to draw in the Marvel Universe handbook. And, uh, you know, then Bob Harris, who completely turned me loose so that I could provide the world with characters like Cable and Deadpool and Domino and whatever. And then there's guys like Mike Carlin, who I've told you, like, completely berated me, uh, insulted me, uh, uh, just, just really, uh, what's the word? Discouraged, discouraged, huge, huge discouragement that I would not allow to keep me down, that I a hundred percent, uh, would not allow to pin me and, 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 and deftly, daftly moved around and through him and beyond him. But you remember those guys too. And it, and it should dictate to you how you want to treat people when you become the guy who's doing the hiring and who calls the shots and who wants to make the best possible arrangements and the best possible future for your um, various talents that you, you you select. And, you know, it all started with my boy, uh, Marat Michaels, who was my, uh, he really is. He's, I mean, there there is not a week that goes by in the last 30 years that I am not on the phone with Marat. I, I love this guy. Uh, he started as my, you know, teenage kind of assistant. Some days it would just be to sit and give me somebody to talk to while I finish pages. But very often there were crazy FedEx runs where we rode the curb of the freeway just to make it to the FedEx on on time in a Jeep open air. <laughs> Can't believe how many people we pissed off. But man, we were, it was like, you know, when that when that clock got down to 30 minutes to FedEx, man, and I revved up that Jeep and I needed somebody for the uh the carpool lane. Marat was always there with me. 
uh, ask him to tell you about the time I opened the door on the freeway to make sure that we would, you know, be able to get over into the other lane. You know, you, you get, you get, you got, you got to be, uh, you got to be resourceful when you're trying to make it to FedEx. Okay. Sometimes that door's got to come open in order for you to, uh, you know, navigate that extra lane. Okay. So apologies. That was 1990. Apologies to whoever I, uh, I, 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 uh, kind of, um, uh, willed, willed my car into their lane. So, uh, Marat was an assistant who went on to become a penciler. I gave him my first spinoff book from Image Brigade. Uh, he busted his ass. The one thing that Marat and I always, always combined our interest on were the artists that we loved. We had very similar tastes, but also we valued great storytelling. We could identify great storytellers above the mediocre st- storytellers. And look, I, I again, I believe I have hung my hat consistently in my career on being a dynamic storyteller. And uh, j- there are pages that I look through to this day that my eye is going everywhere at once. Everywhere at once. I can't even, like, what? What? what's this? What, where's this? Where's my eye go here? Where's my eye go here? Like, it's crazy. You know, I, I wish that we had better fundamentals being taught in regards to how storytelling was presented in comic books. But it's just, it's really a personal thing. Um, there are guys who I know who we celebrate because they draw really well and, and are some of the worst storytellers I've ever known, have ever seen. And I'm like, dude, you've been doing this for 30 years and you still can't freaking move my eye through a page. Like, what is wrong with you? Why did you not ever understand how to place your eye through a page? Like, just filling it up with stuff is not enough. Like, you're just not a good storyteller. Um, I'm going to tell you, one, one, here's an aside. A couple years, uh, about about a decade ago, uh, when, when, um, before it was, I guess, 15, 12 years ago before Hollywood completely ascended on Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con. And, uh, I was, um, uh, people would, act, would congregate in the lobby of the Hyatt. The Hyatt was a real scene for everybody. This is in regards to storytelling. And, uh, I was, uh, found myself with a drink of soda because yeah, I, I, the alcohol stuff doesn't agree with me. Um, uh, and I am standing next to Art, Art Adams, Arthur Adams, he, he who I have loved, and he knows I love him, and he knows I googled, uh, drooled all over his work, went gaga over over him uh, when he was first breaking in. He's always, I think, remembers me as the annoying little Robbie, little Rob Liefeld who wouldn't leave his table, and I and his and his wife Joyce, beautiful beautiful Joyce, is standing there as well, and they're you know. Everyone's just kind of hanging around. There's a lot of mumbling. And I'm like, hey, Art, let's catch up. What's up? Hey, who do you like in comics right now? Who do you like? And he's, you know, Art talks a little like this and a little slow and deliberate. And I won't tell you all the names I threw at him, but I probably threw him 30 names and I avoided my own. I did not want Arthur to eviscerate me on the spot. So I picked my uh, my, my places, but I said, hey, Arthur, what do you think about this guy? And he's like, not a good storyteller. Just not a good storyteller. And And that is his first response to the guy who I asked who he, who he liked. And so we never diverged from whether who's a good storyteller or who's not a good storyteller. And so as the night, I mean, it was about a 20 minute conversation. I would throw him another guy. Oh, decent storyteller, but not a great storyteller. Two many answers were, oh boy, not a good storyteller. Very few good storytellers. Uh, a couple of decent storytellers, but most of Art's response was, hmm, not a good storyteller. 
And honestly, he was spot on. Storytelling is undersold in this business. And uh, the guys who do it well, we celebrate. And uh, and there are guys who, who have a literally uh, completely different um, level that they execute on. I will I will say that Dave Gibbons of Watchmen uh, is one of those guys. Uh, I think he is probably, just, just the Watchmen alone, those 12 issues qualify him for um, maybe one of the best storytellers of all space and time. But then there's guys like Jack Kirby and John Buscema who effortlessly, effortlessly carry your eye through a page without fail every time. And they're not celebrated for it. You know, we can talk just about, just as much about John's storytelling tip, storytelling choices as much as we can talk about his drawing techniques and his figure drawing. And he's and he's A++ at both. But Marat Michaels is a great storyteller, great page designer, great layout guy. And that served him well in his early teens as he got those 50 pages, 100 pages, 200 pages underneath him and, and drastically, radically transformed himself into one of the best figure artists uh, in comics. I mean, I still crack open some of his... Uh, Brigades and Battlestones. He did a two-issue Battlestone. He did a he did a series for me called Nightmare. He's done books called Blindside. The way he twists and turns his figures in a dynamic fashion is something I've always envied. He has beautiful um, penciling finishes, and uh, Marat has uh, graduated beyond comics as well. He's a self-publisher. He does a lot of his own. He runs his own comic book company, uh, his own imprint. Um, he 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 does numerous. Uh, crowdfunded comics, each one more successful than the last. Uh, I asked him, what happened with you and, and, and mainstream comics? And he's like, you know what? I just didn't enjoy it, Rob. I, I was drawing, I think, Grifter. After I left Grifter in the DC 52, Marat stepped in to finish a couple issues off. And uh, sadly, he just said, Rob, that the pay is terrible. Like, you know, I can make more in one weekend at a convention, uh, and this is true of so many guys, than I can do 22 pages of Grifter and the stories weren't fun and the direction from the editorial was terrible. So I just decided to do my own thing. And, and Marat's about a decade into it. I think his, I'm, I'm, I'm 99% sure his company is called Counterpoint Comics. He does all sorts of different comics. He's become his own self-publishing uh, guru and, uh, you know, uh, just hell of a guy, hell of a talent. Uh, we, 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 have collaborated on so many things. Um, I He's one of the few guys, there were two guys I worked from their layouts at Extreme. Um, one was Todd Knock and one was Marat. And I and, and a few Todd Knocks, not by, uh, th- that I didn't like Todd's stuff. It's just, it, Marat was always my first go-to guy. So I have more with Marat. But Marat laid out the entire, uh, an entire issue of Bad Rock for me. He laid out most of Extreme Sacrifice um, he would do layouts for other guys in the studio too, just like I did layouts for some of the guys I'm going to talk to you about today. But so Murat was like my first guy in the door at Extreme. He's cranking out. He's he's pushing himself. Uh, like I said, his story storytelling muscle was top from the get go. And then, as with all of us, you know, as my drawing increased from Hawk and Dove one to five, so did Murat's from one, you know, Brigade one to five to seven to eight to ten. And then later, we welcomed in a gentleman by the name of Dan Frega. Dan Frega uh, came in as a young buck, uh, very much wanting to make his mark in comics, wanting to pencil comics. Uh, he did numerous kind of uh, uh, little kind of uh, tryout pages um, uh, until we thought, 
I thought that I could uh, graduate him onto an entire book, and that book became Bloodstrike number one. Proudly, I laid out all of the first issue, of which Dan then penciled over my layouts and my breakdowns. And again, this is the age where the guy that really inspired me to provide breakdowns for others was a guy named Keith Giffen. Keith Giffen had given um, layouts and breakdowns to all manner of artists. The most famous among them was Kevin McGuire on Justice League for maybe the first year. McGuire worked exclusively from Keith's Keith Giffen's breakdowns, and Giffen is a superstar storyteller, like another top of the heap um, guy. Uh, never laid out a bad page, an unclear page. Always moves your eye through it capably. Um, and 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 Keith had started taking on projects specifically to just be, to provide the layouts. And, uh, and, and, and he did the same thing at my studio when I hired him, when I needed to lighten the load and he laid out for guys like Jeff Johnson and, and other really capable guys, uh, that, 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 that were at extreme established guys, a guy like, like Jeff Johnson, who had come from Wonder Man was now working over Keith's layouts on Supreme. But, um, so, so, so Dan, I, I liked how Keith would control the product by creating the breakdown. So that's what I did. I wanted to control the product by making sure that the thought work was already done on the page. And then a guy like Dan Frega, who really just wants to refine his figure, he, he can put all his time into refining his figure work, his drawing, his faces. And, and that, that, that's what that afforded him for the first several issues. I, I believe I laid out the first three for Dan. I know I have some of the layouts still laying around here. That's how I know it. But Dan blossomed into his own... Uh, you know, um, successful, powerful, uh, artist and, and, uh, and became obsessed with background details, with drawing lots of stuff and clutter that would, um, eye candy, um, in addition to completely capable backgrounds and figure work and great faces, very stylistic. Everybody wanted to pursue a style. The one thing that I would say is different from, uh, now till, till then is, is the fact that that there was a period, especially in the early 2000s, where everybody wanted to draw from photos. And I'm like, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't have even been into comics if everyone was drawing like photos when I was a kid. That would have denied me of Walt Simonson and Frank Miller and John Byrne and George Perez and Jim Starlin, just to name a few. I wanted stylistic guys. Mike Zek, I wanted stylistic guys. But, but comics really, um, it was part of the publishing, the publishers at the two major houses Marvel and DC had become obsessed with controlling the product to the point where they wanted you to draw from photos. And I think I've discussed it when I was in disguise at San Diego and the editors didn't know I was Rob Liefeld standing right over them, watching them critique another guy's work. And the guy goes, you know, we don't want that image style. We don't want that image stuff. We want you to draw from photos. I mean, I was there that that, I I witnessed it. I I believe I witnessed, I I, I referenced this. If not, I'll, I'll do this whole story soon where I attended San Diego in disguise Stood next to Eric Larson. He did not recognize me. Stood next to um, the guy who ran Avatar Press, who was publishing Glory and Evangeline at the time. Uh, he did not recognize me at all. Um, Jimmy J, who we've had on the show, uh, he did not recognize me, nor did his mother. I was in complete disguise, much like <laughs> I, it was before Borat. I did it. I did it in 2001. Uh, I did it in 2001 and, and, and was happy to be in disguise, a la Borat. Nobody knew who I was. Literally was inches from all these people. Stood next to Mike Carlin. Didn't know who I was. Really fun. Heard, it's great to hear what people, you know, say and talk about. Um, But somebody like Dan Frega, 
who was obsessed with packing the page with detail and very stylistic renderings. Again, developing his own style. That was your signature. You left your style. Just like different players have a style of play, Kobe had a style of play. Everyone said it was modeled on Michael Jordan's style of play. Well, Steph Curry has a style of play. Shaq had a style of play. It was overpowering. It was, it was a physical style of play. Um, you know, it, 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 Russell Wilson has a style of play. He does it with his legs. Kyler Murray now in Arizona is doing it with his legs. A style of play, okay? Clayton Kershaw. Everybody has their different style. In comics, we want them to do styles, not not draw from photographs, man. What a drag. No one wants... I, I would never have gotten into comics if they were doing from photos. So Dan has gone on. Uh, I remember uh, short years after There's Extreme, and Dan was knocking around doing jobs for Marvel and DC, and he'd come to the same conclusion that Murad had. I'm killing myself for this minimum page wage because I, I spoiled these guys. At, at Extreme, I paid... Uh, extremely well. And, and 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 it's what I wanted to do. I wanted to establish myself as a great haven for artists that you would want to come and work for me because I would compensate you better than anybody else. And I would do it up front. You didn't have to wait a year for, for, for back-end royalties. I mean, I've told you, my uh, an anchor that, that, that was an assistant anchor for Art to Bear, and I made him a full-time anchor on myself and then others' work. His name is Danny Mickey. Sweet guy, hard worker, slick line, terrific, just amazingly commercial line. Put him to work, paid him $300, $350 a page. I think he got paid more when he inked me, but his his base was around $300 a page at a time when the top anchors were getting $150, okay? But I doubled that under me. A guy like Danny could do three pages a day. I routinely wrote checks for Danny, you know, that were seven, eight thousand dollars a week. The guy was cleaning up uh, working in comics from the word go. He had just, you know, basically walked into the building. I loved his line. I loved how slick and commercial he was. I knew I didn't want, I wanted Danny to stay loyal to me. And so I paid him a rate that was twice as good as anything he would ever encounter. Nobody was paying anybody 300 plus dollars a page to ink. Okay. So I did the same thing with my pencilers and, and, and everybody seemed to be extremely happy. And then the comics industry went through a kind of a, whether you want to call it an implosion, a correction, and suddenly publishers took seized on that to pay the least amount of money to people. And page rates plummeted. And so these guys are killing themselves for the same price that they were making $400 a page to pencil or 500 or whatever. Um, I paid Marat ridiculously to do breakdowns and layouts. And he said, Rob, sometimes I would spend a whole weekend and, and, and that weekend I'd walk in and voucher for $20,000 on a Monday because you were paying me, you know, $200 a page for breakdowns and I had X amount of breakdowns for X amount of books. And I mean, this is a true story. And, and, uh, again, I believed in compensating my guys. Uh, my books were so ridiculously profitable that I could afford to share the wealth. And by sharing the wealth, everybody was so happy. It was about a four year contact high. Everybody was like, yeah, this is great. We're, we're killing it. We're doing great. We're making the best that we've ever made. So that was a really, really, really fun time. And, uh, and, and, and guys like Dan were knocking around at Marvel, getting these measly or, or DC, both making measly page rates, starting at the back of the line. They're like, wait, I, I've, I, I've never made this less, this, this little, you know, pencil. And they're like, well, that, that's what it is here. And this is where we can start you from. You're not an established guy with us. You, you did 10 years at another company, whatever. Okay. So Dan uh, goes on and he, and he tells me he's going to pursue storyboarding. 
And I remember one of the first jobs Dan ever did that he showed me, we were sitting down at a Starbucks coffee house, probably 2002, no, maybe 2004. And he shows me this Allen Iverson, maybe it's an Adidas commercial. I don't think it's Nike, maybe Adidas. It's a sneaker shoe commercial. These are the most amazing storyboards. They're fully illustrated, gorgeous. Um, they would be like your favorite comic book, like like the best Dan Frag I'd ever seen. He wanted to impress, and he did. He knocked people off their ass. Dan came in young and hungry, the same way he came into the comics industry. He went into the storyboarding industry, you know, and he and he attacked it, and he got job after job after job after job. He got um, Louis Louis Leterrier, who did. Uh, who, who did one of the uh, Clash on the Titans movies, and I believe he did, uh, uh, what's that Jason Statham movie where, where, where if he stops, he's going to explode. Um, you know, he, Dan um, Dan got attached to a lot of great directors who, the Transporter, Transporter 2, okay? Dan became the storyboard guy. And you can go through here, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, One Miss Call, Dragon Ball Evolution, um, The Hard Times of RG. R.J. Berger, The Warrior's Way, The Fighter, Season of the Witch, you know, Detention. Uh, Dan did so much um, uh, with these directors who loved him. And and I know he's done a million. uh, Holy crap. I I know he's done uh, Taylor Swift and Britney Spears uh, music videos. Um, And uh, and, and, and because these directors just once they see what they can get out of Dan, why wouldn't you want that from everything? And I'm telling you, having seen these storyboards, they are, they, they are more than a cut above. Okay. Um, Joseph Kahn is the guy that I think Dan and Louis Leterrier early on attached themselves to Dan and wanted him to do every job. And those jobs are smoking ridiculously amazing. I mean, just out of this world, seeing the line art. I hired Dan to do some storyboards for a movie I was trying to set up at the time because I'm like, these are amazing. Um, and so Dan never looked back and then Dan eventually got into directing his own animation and um, Mattel put him to work and, and in, um, you know, again, go, go to IMDb and, and you'll see where uh, Dan Frager, the director, he did all the Ricky Gervais show, which was on HBO. He, uh, he did Monster High. He's done Hot Wheels. And the last thing I remember Dan doing uh, is Max Steele, and they, and they're fantastic. Dan is a great director. He would be he would kill it in 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 uh, live action as well. He he's done a bunch of stuff, uh, you know, in animation. But he took his talents, uh, the same as same as uh, you're gonna find out becomes a real a real common thing with these extreme guys. And I understand it. And one of the things that beat them all down early on, and let's just get right to the brass tacks, was this system of of popularity that was. Um, and, and, and if you and if you understand my um, dislike for the Wizard magazine, or if you don't understand it, or if you're confused by it, you're going to understand it better now. I'm going to make it really clear to you. So Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, uh, everybody that came before us, myself, we established our popularity with you, the fan. If you were buying my work back then, I'm speaking to you, Jim Lee, you, the fan, Todd McFarlane. Just like John Byrne and George Perez and Jim Starlin, all the names that I always rattle off, they established that with me. They... We became their favorites. It's called fan favorites. It's called popularity. Um, we moved the needle. The fans decided. They went to the store. They bought more of our work. They bought more quantities. They bought it with more energy, more frequency. The numbers were reflective of this. Now, by the time Wizard um, launches, we've all gone through our big million-selling phase at Marvel, so they don't have anything to say on that. Youngblood, number one, is launching 
like early on in Wiz in Wizard image launches before they can fully get their um, their hands about around what they're capable of. They start doing hot writers list, hot artist lists. They are decided by what they like personally more than what was dictating the market. Case in point, Youngblood is number one for one month, and and X Force is in the top ten. So I have two books. No, it's in the top five. I said to Garib Seamus, I go, how come I'm not the number one artist? Uh, well, we, we, we still really like Todd. Todd. Todd's our favorite. Todd's our favorite. I would then learn years later, they had business dealings with Todd at the time. They were in bed with Todd. It, it, it's so ridiculously complicated that the lengths of business that they were in with Todd. Of course, they were, um, they had traded favors with Todd for artwork. They had, it was in their best interest to make what they had the most of the most valuable. And that was Todd. There was a time where Jim Lee was clearly more popular than Todd McFarlane to anyone in the comic book world. Like literally there was a period, just like I'm speaking, there was a period um, for, for months on end where um, the Rob Liefeld brand was the hot brand. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I don't care about that. That, that. My numbers were my numbers. But Jim, there was a period where Jim, like maybe over a year, Jim Lee was everybody's first choice. Never reflected. I don't think Jim got the top spot ever. It was always Todd because they favored Todd. But you don't know that. You just think these guys making this Wizard Magazine, you know, Todd is is not even drawing comics for a period and they're making him the number one artist. Good for Todd. Awesome. But I'm just saying, judge it by the gym. If you don't like the Rob analytics, judge it by the gym. But now imagine you're a young guy. You're coming into the business. And Jim Lee and I had this conversation about a year into our respective studios, Wildstorm and Extreme. And I won't name the names, the guys that we were talking about. We were not talking about specific guys in our studio, the young guns, the young bucks who were frustrated because they couldn't seem to land on the top, the hot artist list on Wizard. And that became the end all be all. And these guys, you have to understand. So, you know, I am, um, you know, walking into the office, the happiest guy on the planet. I have, a, I have completely achieved all my dreams times 10. Uh, I'm on a, I'm on a television commercial. Okay. My copy, my comics have sold millions. Um, I mean, the media is calling all the time to book, you know, taped gigs for, for, for television shows with me. I am completely secure and happy and loving life. And I have opened my studio up and now we have you know, probably at the time we have about 30 to 40 guys, but I come in and there's long faces and, and, and these are the same guys that are getting $400 a page, same guys that are getting $350 to ink a page. And they're like, I'm like, Hey, what's up? What's wrong? Ah, oh, wizard won't notice me or another issue. A wizard came out and they didn't. And I said, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. And this speaks to what Jim and I were talking about. We were like, dude, these guys, it, it, it's, it's just in their head. It's, it's this worm that is eating their brain that they need the attention put forth by the wizard magazine. And you know what? Again, we bypassed it all. Our success came before then, then wizard existed. And then we had to deal with them. They became a necessary component of the business based on what I'm telling you right now. If my artists are sweating this, imagine, you know, what the fans are thinking, the fans, it's their Bible. And here's the deal. When I say that wizard, um, Wizard, not just artists. I don't think they were that interested in in this this whole. I've given more to the artist discussion, I think, than maybe they did on any given basis. What they loved was, um, 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 pushing books up, but they loved pushing books down. And here's the deal: Overstreet Price Guide was the Bible 
uh, for, you know, 30 plus years prior to Wizard. And uh, it was come out once a year, hardcover, phone book size, and it gave you all your values of all your comics ever published. Overstreet's comic book price guide. It's still published today. It still comes out annually. Nothing ever went down in value in Overstreet's price guide. He understood, the people who published it, understood that you would just keep things the same. If it was a dollar last year, it's a dollar this year. If it was 50 bucks last year and it didn't go to 55, it's just staying at 50. They really had a strong belief not to devalue your books. Well, part of the thing that Wizard Comics really invested in heavily was, I don't know if you guys remember, but I'll tell you, they had heat signatures. A red line meant it was going up. A blue line meant it was cold. A green line meant it was neutral. If I'm getting the colors mixed up, forgive me, I don't have it in front of me. But this is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They started showing comic books as stocks. And, uh, and, and, and people, you know, don't respond well to that. They don't want to hear that their books that they value in their hearts and minds are now monetarily less. And it really played to the, your comic book is only, um, as valuable as its monetary, you know, worth. And no comic books are valuable for, you know, the memories they stirred. Look, there was a comic book that I loved growing up called Super Villain Team-Up. It was a dedicated comic to Prince Namor, Submariner, and Doctor Doom. Neither could carry their own comic, so Marvel in 1975 launched Super Villain Team-Up. They're both associated with Fantastic Four, but they had, you know, associations beyond them, but primarily Fantastic Four. But Doctor Doom of Latveria, Submariner of the Atlantic Ocean, of the all the oceans of the Earth, are, are now going to be in monthly adventures where they battle each other, battle others. Team up against even worse villains, Red Skull, Atuma, Battle the Avengers, the Champions. This was exciting times. The book never took off. It's still one of my favorites. They've reprinted it in a nice color hardcover, a, a, a trade trade paperback. They've, they've, they've done a phone book of all the black and white. The, the, the Marvel does these essentials where it's just the black and white line art. I own all of it. I have multiple copies of the originals. I have reader copies. I have mint editions. I love Supervillain Team Up. You can tell me that it's worth a penny and I'm still never going to not love it. Okay? So when you're starting to tell me that my comic books aren't worth as much and you're doing it on a monthly basis, 12 times a year, maybe 13, given some summer special designed to tell you how much your comic books aren't worth, Wizard invested in becoming your comic book stockbroker and telling you, hot, 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 not, 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 buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. That is not the comics industry that I fell in love with. And it's sad. And I think, thankfully, that time is over. I think that time has passed. I think we're back to love what you love. If you love, you know, carnage and you want every appearance of carnage then that's who you're hung up on if 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 you, if your lifelong passion you know was the new warriors and and the new warriors was your favorite comic um even though there's not a current new warriors comic and and as, as of right now not it hasn't shipped there isn't a new, new new warriors comic there hasn't been for a while but that's your favorite thing then let that be your favorite thing if your memories are associated with that that's awesome so the wizard changed all that by 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 really implementing this buy-sell, buy-sell mentality. And you better believe they understood what they were doing. The Seamuses had a comic book store. Garib's mom and dad, they're sweet people. They had a comic book store. People would always say, oh, you know, they 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 push what they want to sell. I never fell for that. I don't know if that's true. All I know is that the magazine started gearing itself early on, right around the year mark to this we're going to start telling you how little your comics are worth in addition to how much they're worth. 
And that may have turned on a whole bunch of people, but it turned off an equal amount of people. So I think I don't think there was a benefit um, to that. I think there was just a loss. I mean, I, I got to be honest, that was the least of what their their the power hungry staff would start engaging in, and and they got nuts. They got absolutely nuts. And and one of my favorite days was when the magazine was put to rest. It, it, it had outlived its usefulness. It couldn't keep up with the internet, the fast breaking news. This was even before Twitter exploded. It just it was it was a it was a it, it was a relic uh, of another time. It had outlived, by the mid two thousands. There was no place for it, and uh, and 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 an ill advised attempt to revive it a year ago never even got off the ground. Thank God. But I would walk in, and two of these other guys I'm going to mention. So I've covered Murad. I've covered Dan Frega, Chap Yap. His work, you saw him on Team Youngblood on War Child. Youngblood, he did so many great comic books for me. What a talented kid. His work came to me after a convention. Dan Frega brought back a packet from Chap, who he had seen at a WonderCon that I didn't attend that year. I think it was 1992 or 93. And he brought it back. And I looked through these raw sample pages. And I'm like, I'm hiring this kid. We got his, we followed up with his phone number and address that he put on his sample packets. Called him, made him an offer. Said we could fly him down to Orange County. He was up in Northern California. Relocate him, put him to work. Chap was all for it. Shy kid. I think it was a big step for him, but I think he understood this is the big leagues. I'm going to go through Extreme Studios. I'm going to go be part of Image Comics, this giant movement. We gave him a Youngblood annual that turned into a Team Youngblood launch. I love Chap Yap. You guys love Chap Yap. I get asked about Chap Yap. Did you know that Chap, like many others, got fed up with the comic book system after Extreme would go dance briefly with Marvel Comics, but ended up doing animation. And this is where we get to the Ben 10. Chap worked on like 30 plus episodes of Ben 10. You know, uh, whether it was director, producer, character designer, um, his name's all over that thing. And just so happens when my kid is six, Ben 10 comes on. And my younger son is four. My daughter is two. She has no interest. But my two boys were raised on Ben 10 and loving Ben 10. And what a kick knowing that Chap Yap's first published work and another gentleman I'm going to bring up, Jeff Matsuda, who would then go on to do The Adventures of Jackie Chan, uh, The New Adventures of Batman, uh, Ben 10. So much animation provided from Chap and Jeff Matsuda. Jeff Matsuda sent me a giant, hot pink, oversized pink envelope. It showed up. It stood out. Guy walked it over to me in early 1993 and said, this came in the mail. They were giant size, 11 by 17, full-sized sample pages. X-Men, Captain America, Omega Red. I was in. The number was there. I called Jeff that afternoon. I think I reached his mom. His mom put me on the phone with Jeff. I said to Jeff, where do you, you know, it says here you live in Illinois, Chicago. He said, yes. I said, I would like to offer you a full-time gig drawing comics. I would like to fly you out. Same thing. This is what we do with everybody. If we can get you on site, we can impact you greater. And uh, Jeff like Jeff, like Chap, took took the uh, he took the offer. We flew him into Southern California. I bought a house in the city of Orange. It became the Extreme Studios frat house. At one point, Marat, Dan Frega, a gentleman I mentioned here before, Chuck Jones, uh, not the famous Bugs Bunny Chuck Jones, young, um, awesome illustrator named Chuck Jones, Jeff Matsuda, Chap Yap, all lived 
in the Extreme House. It was a cool house on a cul-de-sac in the city of Orange. I bought it and uh, put everybody up there rent-free. That was part of the deal. You just got to live there and then come to work and I paid you. And Jeff Matsuda, I think I started out at $600 a page. I went as high as $800 a page. This guy could draw a book in 10 days. The first thing we gave him was Youngblood Strike File uh, number five. I, I believe it was or Youngblood Strike File four with Bad Rock. And uh, I, laid it, I laid it out, gave him rough layouts. Jeff didn't need him. Went on his own, went on a tear. He had an immediate style, just like Chap. Chap and Jeff arrived with these very formed styles. They, they knew exactly who they were trying to emulate. There was some, in Chap, there was some Simon Beasley, some Jim Lee, some Jay Lee, some Liefeld. In Jeff Matsuda, uh, it was wholly original. It was this weird kind of mixture of East, East meets West animation and modern American comic book work, and it was spectacular. I love both guys. Gave them both as much work as I could. Chap was not as fast. Nobody was as fast as Jeff Matsuda. Jeff Matsuda was the fastest guy I had ever seen draw comics. They were capable. They were complete. They were beautiful. The pencils were lush. Um, we gave him, after that, a double-sized troll special. He powered through that 40 pages in maybe two and a half weeks. After I had, you know, so, so the guy's making like $600 a page, you know, uh, between both jobs in, 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 in probably two and a half months, makes what some people make in a year, went out, bought himself a sweet car, said, Rob, I've made enough. I'm going to um, get my own condo. And off he went. And Jeff worked with us for years on end. We launched New Men with him, numerous covers, numerous projects. Uh, Jeff was an absolute delight. Supreme covers, Youngblood covers, so much, so much great stuff from Jeff. Jeff also, I could see, was bothered by the lack of, I mean, guys, Wizard created a system where if you weren't where if you weren't being praised by Wizard, that there was something wrong with your work, and it was wrong. It's not how it should be. There wasn't enough people in the comic book universe to to make up uh, even even if they did a top one hundred list, okay. And uh, like I said, I was fortunate. I lived on that list as number three guy for like three years. Todd Jim Rob, Todd Jim Rob, Todd Jim Rob. It, it was automatic. Um, it was it was always interesting to see who came four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's where the movement was. Well. Uh, my guys, and not only my guys, the Wildstorm guys, the Top Cow guys, all the young guys, the Valiant guys, it was like, you know, how many hoops did they have to jump through to get notice? And we understand that they were young guys, but it wore on them because of the system of we pick who's hot and who's not. And uh, as guys who ran the studios, whether it was myself, Mark Silvestri, Jim Lee, it was on us to keep them, you know, it was like not getting selected to the All-Star game. You know, um, it, it, it was like, wait, I, I, I'm not getting any notice for my work whatsoever. It's a bummer, man. It's a bummer. Um, but we tried to keep the, them motivated with money, with energy, with, with great feedback by showing them how much the fans loved them. And I think one of the things that really worked was these guys did a lot of store appearances, personal appearances, and the love flowed for these guys. And they saw it. So they didn't have to find their validation in these magazines. But I think um, I've always wondered if they they thought, well, maybe being over at Marvel will give us extra love. Jeff went on and did like six issues of Wolverine. And, you know, it, it didn't, I think that's when Jeff realized it's not going to change. You know what? Um, I'm busting my ass. The Marvel money isn't what the extreme money was. And I'm a storyteller. I got bigger ambitions in life than what comic books offers me. And he and Chap both pursued storyboards, animation, character development, and eventually went on to be producers. I mean, Jeff produces like 
50 episodes of the new adventures of Batman. And I don't know how many episodes and, and directs uh, uh, the Jackie Chan adventures. And Jeff and I worked again together in, in, the, in later in the nineties where Jeff creates this spectacular comic book called Kaboom that he sells to me and we publish it. Awesome. And we do a couple editions and it's fantastic. And uh, you know, Jeff and Chap and Dan all went Hollywood. Marat became his own self-publishing magnate. And, uh, you know, these guys all started here at Extreme and found their dreams in television and animation and direction. Um, again, look up Jeff Matsuda, IMDb, Chap Yap, IMDb, Dan Frega, IMDb. And then a kid named Andy Park walked into my life. I have Andy's handwritten uh, ballpoint letter that he wrote to me uh, on, on two sides of, of lined paper. It is the sweetest thing. It expresses his, no, Andy, I'm not going to read it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to save you that. He wrote me this wonderful, sweet letter of how excited he was to work in comic books. He walked in, very accomplished, very pretty, very pretty art, very pretty faces, very, very pretty figures. I knew immediately, oh my gosh, we got to get this guy to work. We gave Andy a couple issues of Evangeline. They were spectacular. We gave him trading cards. We gave him all manner of of fill-in work and covers. And uh, Andy just was a delight to work with and really, a really spectacular comic book artist with with kind of a Travis Charest early flair to his work. I mean, the stuff is so pretty, so pretty to look at. Um, comic books was starting to taper off, unfortunately, shortly after he got into the business. Um, Chap Yap, I gave him the Wolverine Bad Rock crossover with Marvel. I, I felt I wanted to reward him. Obviously, Chap did Avengers with me. Again, I, I you know, I, I don't want to dismiss all the great work that Chap and I did together, but beyond Youngblood and, and Warchild, I'd be remiss not to remember, not to mention those Heroes Reborn. I mean, he's in the best-selling Avengers of all time. He did 20 pages. He did half the book. Chap, Jeff, Andy, Andy comes in. Andy comes in and shows us this work. We put him to work immediately. There is just uh, not enough work to, to give Andy. He's so good. Later on, I got a one, it's a long story, maybe for another show. I got the license with my buddy Jimmy J to do a comic book based on the TV series Alias. I did not call for it. Yes, it's a completely different episode. J.J. Abrams called me. I was at a Chinese restaurant. I came out. It's J.J. Abrams. He wants to work with me. He wants to do comics. He wants to do Alias comics. I'm the guy he wants to publish them through. Uh, I agree to facilitate this. We set up a deal. Andy Park is hired. Those pages are online. Andy illustrated the most beautiful comic book that we were never allowed allowed to release because at the last minute, ABC said, we've decided not to do this. Now, at the time, I thought uh, they've just found a different partner that's going to pay them more to do comic books based on the Jennifer Garner alias series that was burning up ABC in a super hot show for them in uh, in the early 2000s. But they didn't. They really didn't pursue another comic book license. They didn't, I thought, it's going to Dark Horse, it's going to Image, whatever. It didn't happen. But Andy did the one issue that J.J. Abrams wrote. Andy drew from a J.J. Abrams script, a J.J. Abrams written comic book script. And it's beautiful. And it's online, and you should see those pages. Um, but uh, I'll try and load a few of them onto the website so you can see them, the, the podcast site, um, which is on robleifeldcreations.com. Go to the podcast menu. That's where you can find some of this stuff. And uh, Andy and I worked together again. So that's 2003, 2004. Great stuff. It was a shame that it never saw the light of day. It is some of the most beautiful comic work. Andy did issues of X-Men. He went on to Marvel. He did X-Men, fill-ins. They're beautiful. You should check them out. Andy's such a talented artist, but Andy finds himself doing pre-biz 
doing doing character designs and 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 ultimately finds himself at the highest perch in entertainment for for an artist of his you know talents working alongside Kevin Feige and all of the amazing talents that bring you your Marvel movies. So if you IMDb Andy Park, get ready for an avalanche, okay? Because because you're gonna see um, all sorts of credits, uh, 32 art department credits, you know, uh, visual three visual effects credits from concept illustrator to visual development supervisor. Thor Ragnarok, the best Thor movie. He's the supervisor. Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings. He's the visual development supervisor. Same with Black Widow. WandaVision, okay? Avengers Endgame, concept illustrator. Captain Marvel, development supervisor. Ant-Man and the Wasp, development visual development supervisor. Here's the great news. Andy is the sweetest kid. I still call him a kid, even though he's like, Rob, I'm 40. Um, yeah, I'm 53, okay? Come on. I'm always going to be older. So, But Andy has gone on to such tremendous fame, and, and accomplishments alongside Jeff and Chap and Dan Frega and Marat, all these guys who have gone beyond extreme and are bringing you entertainment that you consume on a regular basis um, on your streaming services, on your video on demand, in DVDs. Um, you can follow all these guys are online. They all have spectacular work. And the one uniting factor is that old man Liefeld gave them their first jobs. They walked in the door. They were put up. They were given their first published work. And it could not have been more of an honor and more of a thrill. But uh, these guys exceeded every possible station, every possible imagining. And, and, and the common denominator with all of them was frustrating, frustrated by this new fan uh you know, this new Wizard Magazine barometer of success. These guys would have blown up in any age, okay? In any age. Um, and, and and yet they found, like, again, we would, Jim Lee, I'm not going to say the names that he told me, but guys in his studio, same thing. Just what do they do to break out? What are they, it became the new barometer. And eventually, I've talked to all these guys. Andy, Jeff, Chap, Dan, Marat. They all found their own way. They all found their own success. Um, spectacular success. I mean, 2009, Jeff Matsuda calls me and says, Hey Rob, I want you to have you over and I want, I want to preview something for you. I have the advanced copy of the Hulk versus Wolverine straight to DVD that Marvel did. And I wanted to show you cause I was the key char- character development guy and I did Deadpool. And because you created Deadpool, I want you to see it before it comes out. Jeff took Murat and I to lunch in Irvine. We went to Jeff's house on his big screen television, he world premiered for me before it was in stores, before it was released, the Wolverine versus Hulk uh, straight to DVD video, uh, which has Deadpool all over it. And Jeff's Deadpool is spectacular. And he was like, I just want to do this. This felt right. This, this this was a really, really fun when I got this gig, knowing that it was from you. You know, Deadpool was associated with you. You created Deadpool and, and you gave me my first gig. And and it just seems full circle. And I got to tell you, it touched me. It touched me deep. Like, I, I feel like Donkey talking to Shrek. It, you, 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 you touched me deep, Shrek. Um, I'm telling you, it was so nice to sit with Jeff and watch that. And I was just so amazed by how spectacular his work is and was and continues to be. And Andy, who, you know, will show you the designs that he did for Gila 
Kate uh, Blanchett in, in in Ragnarok and the way he designed the Ant-Man and Wasp's costumes and, and what phenomenal work he's doing on Shang-Chi and the stuff he did on Endgame and Infinity War and all the various Marvel projects that Andy Park works. He is on staff. He is dedicated. He is part of the team. They do the art books. Andy's always signing them. Andy is synonymous with the last decade's worth of Marvel success as a uber, you know, illustrator, visual visual supervisor for them. His drawings, paintings, development stuff are just they're they're just amazing in the same capacity that that chaps Ben Ten and 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 the the Jackie Chan and the Batman stuff, all the stuff that Jeff and and Chap and Dan and the, the best storyboards I've ever seen, and Marat and all the infinite amount of pages and work that he's done. It's such a, a source of pride. And they're not alone. I just can't get to everybody in one podcast. We'll do a follow-up. More Danny Mickey, Norm Ratman, Todd Nock, all these guys who just blew the doors off and have become staples of the comics industry. You see Norm Ratman in every DC comics, Danny Mickey in every DC comic. Todd Nock was Young Justice for a gazillion years and now does every you know Marvel comics cover and, and interiors. And for me, it's so satisfying. When you take a flyer on somebody, when you take a risk and you treat them well and they invite you to their house and show you a movie featuring your characters years later, or we spend, you know, uh, an hour catching up at a movie premiere uh, where Andy did all the key art for. And, and it's just so much fun to watch where comics took these guys and how they are working right now to affect your entertainment and my entertainment, my kids' entertainment, okay? And it all started at a place called Extreme Studios, once upon a time when we all worked under one roof and had just the most fun. But we all learned that, uh, you know, to quote Jack Kirby, I read it again today on Facebook, says Jack Jack Kirby said, comic books will break your heart. They don't have to. And these guys wouldn't let them. They wouldn't let the lack of favor or hot list, the hot lists that, that the now defunct, you know, Wizard Magazine wouldn't, you know, put them on. And, 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 and it was almost probably a, a giant deprogramming to get out from comics because it's a weird, this is a weird industry. It has a weird set of rules and favoritism, but they escaped it, went to bigger and better companies. And these guys have worked in video games and beyond. I've only given you a fraction of their credits. And if you only heard of some of the uncredited work these guys did, it's amazing. But I was proud to be a part of it. And so when I say that comic books affects the past and the future, the, the, the past informs the future. You are living it. Guys that I hired right out of high school, their first comic book storytelling gigs have made movies and cartoons and video games uh, that, that are among some of your favorites of all time. And they've entertained your kids. If you're like me and you had kids in 2006, boys who couldn't get enough of Ben 10, guess what? Chap Yap got his start at Extreme Studios. That's not me taking credit. That's me being so happy. Chap did all the work. Jeff did all the work. Dan did all the work. Barat did all the work. Andy did all the work. But it's such a pleasure that we all started out. They were some of my first hires. And, and we all got together and did a signing for the 25th anniversary of Extreme Studios a couple years ago. And we didn't know what to expect. We did a little book. We did it at a store in Orange, Torpedo Comics. And you guys, we signed for six hours. The fans were so elated. We took so many photos together. Um, Extreme had Dan Panosian, Art Tabera's veteran talent that I hired. And, and they were like super uber talents as well as uber coaches. So many that I'm not naming. Forgive me. Uh, I, we'll, we'll do an Extreme Studios capsule. But uh, 
We got together, and that night was such a blast. Eric Stevenson, Matt Hawkins, we all hung out. We all visited again one under one roof under that comic store, signing comic books all night. And uh, my, my pleasure bought them all, you know, burgers and sandwiches and french fries and milkshakes afterwards. And we sat. It was a perfect spring evening um, out in, 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 in the, the best weather. And I got to tell these guys how much they mean to me and how proud I am of all of their accomplishments. And it is so, uh, it is so fun to look back on where they've been and see where they're going and how they're beaming all their signals into your worlds right now. So, uh, that's, that's, that's just a great episode that I had to walk you guys through. And, and again, have a fun time. DM IMDB, these guys look at their work, look what they're, look what they're working on, see where they've been. It's such a pleasure that they started um, in the same way I read about guys who started at Neil Adams Continuity Studios that that Extreme was really a launch pad for so much like amazing talent that, that has gone above and beyond the, the station of comic books. So uh, guys, you know the drill every week. I thank you for listening. This is, this is the same as always. I could not appreciate the fact that you listen to me more. And, and thank you for spreading the word. Continue to tune in. We will tackle new topics, new horizons. Uh, I am on social media at Rob Liefeld on Instagram, on Instagram at Rob Liefeld on Twitter. It gets a little longer at Robert Liefeld. I have blue checks. I'm the real guy. Uh, don't fall for the fake guy. There are fake guys that pose at me and they'll show up in your DMs asking for money. That's not me. If they don't have the blue check, please don't do that. Um, I'm all over Facebook, social media. Say hi. Drop me a handle. Thank you for supporting the show. You guys have uh, a great rest of your day wherever you are. Above all things, take care of yourself, stay safe, and we will talk again real soon.